0: hey guys just before we get started i wanted to kind of put a swear warning because i realize i do in fact swear a lot and i just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child and also i'd like to say uh sorry mom (laughs) let's get started with the episode Long May She Reign, presented to you by Aidan Fitzgerald. Oh, that was a good one. Hey, guys. Hello. Welcome back to the Long May Shireen podcast. I'm Aiden. I'm your wonderful, beautiful, awesome host for this podcast. So I'm sorry that this is like a week late. God, I've got to, you know, honestly, I've just got to stop apologizing. Uh, I, I had a cold and my mic stopped working. I think I fixed it now. I guess we'll find out uh, as I'm uh, editing this. But yeah, it's been, it's been a rough couple of weeks. Um, my health has been, like, terrible, like, for a while. Like, I got a cold. I thought, like, oh, no, have I finally caught COVID? No, I literally just had, like, a cold that my mom gave me. Thanks, Mom. Love you so much. <laughs> so I wasn't able to record this. And then my, like, mic or, like, something with my computer has been crapping out. Like, you guys probably would have heard it on the Jenny Jerome episode, which I still haven't been able to fix. I'm, like, honestly at this point considering just deleting it because I don't know how to fix the audio to make it not do what it's doing, but whatever. Um, anyway, what what interesting things have happened to me that you guys might want to know about? Oh, this didn't really happen to me, but my parents went to Boston on like a trip and uh, they seem to have a lot of fun, which is great, uh, but they also brought me back a lot of souvenirs. I love it when people give me gifts from trips. It's like my favorite type of gift. Anyway, I got a whole bunch of stuff, but the funny thing is, so, you know, Boston is filled with a lot of history um, so I asked my parents to go to a couple museum gift shops for me. And, uh, specifically, I asked my mom to go to the uh, Boston Tea Party Museum. Because I figured they'd probably have some interesting stuff there. And my mom does, in fact, go there. She gets me a lot of cool stuff. But she rolls up with these, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold it. You guys won't be able to see it. Maybe I'll take a picture of it for, like, Twitter or something. Uh, she brings with me this, like, two rolled up scrolls that look like, like, you know, old paper. And she's like, Aiden, I got you a new copy of the Declaration of Independence. I'm like, oh, that's great. A little bit of a bigger version of my copy of Declaration of Independence. I open it like so with this crinkling noise. And y'all, what she got me is not the Declaration of Independence. To be honest, I'm not really sure uh, what it is. Um, I think it's like the like uh, redone like uh, United States Constitution because it's got all the different... um, amendments you know with my favorite amendment like uh, you're not allowed to have the army in your house or something like that i don't know what she got me but she told me it was advertised as the declaration of independence but it is not the declaration of independence (laughs) so that was fun thanks mom love you um anyway enough about that today we are talking about mumtaz mahal now you may have never heard of her but i bet you've heard of her tomb the taj mahal Mumtaz kind of like she kind of goes down in history. She's always remembered for dying and then her husband building this fantabulous tomb for her because he loved her so much. And that's great and all, and we're going to talk about that. But I want to talk more about what Mumtaz did in life that made her so loved and just beloved by everyone around her. So I hope you guys are excited. I know I am. Let's get into it. Okay, so Mumtaz Mahal was born as Arjumand Banu Begum on the 29th of October, 1593, in the city of Agra, India, to the Grand Vizier Afsa Khan and his wife, Dijwana Begum. I'm pretty sure I pronounced those right. I am so sorry if I didn't. Anyway. Now, with her being born on October 29th, that makes her a Scorpio, which is a sign we are very familiar with on this show. Scorpios are mysterious, and they'd probably sell you to Satan for a single corn chip, but they are also passionate, creative, and bold individuals. I love me a good Scorpio, even though they scare the shit out of me. Um, Not to mention, I recently learned that Scorpio's ruling planet is Pluto, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, you know, Pluto in the Roman pantheon is, you know, your equivalent to Hades. And uh, even though Hades isn't the actual god of the dead, he's just like lord of the dead. He's also like the depressed emo kid of the Roman and Greek pantheon. So it's only natural that scorpions would be the depressed emo kid of the zodiac signs. Now, before we get into Mumtaz's story, let's talk a bit about her birth name, Ajumand, because it actually has very interesting origins in the Persian language. And I didn't, I didn't know any of this. So Ajumand translates to respected or noble, which I think fits her very well, considering she was one of the most well-respected women of her time in the Mughal court. Not to mention her nickname, Mumtaz Mahal, means exalted or respected. So you can just tell that people really liked her. I mean, her birth name already, like, gives an air of nobility and respect, and then they just gave her a nickname that means basically the exact same thing. So I think her parents seemed to know that she was destined for great things. Speaking of parents, let's talk about Mumtaz's parents, Asaf and Dijwan. Did you want? No. Dai... Daijuanji. Daiwanji? It's a really interesting spelling. I've never seen anything spelt like that anyway. um, Now, the story of Mumtaz's family starts with the rise of her grandfather, Mirza, who managed to pull his family out of disgrace right into the limelight of the powerful Mughal court. Now, Mumtaz's grandfather was born into a family of Persian advisors in modern-day Iran, and the family lived a reasonably comfortable life until uh, Mirza's very powerful dad died, leaving Mirza, his three children, uh, including Mumtaz's dad, who was uh, eight at the time, and Mirza's very pregnant wife with few options. Now, it, it didn't really seem clear to me when I was researching Mirza, like, why his dad dying, like, basically threw his family into disgrace, like, maybe I didn't, like, look into it hard enough but like for some reason after Mirza's dad died there were no options for them to stay um, in the Persian court in Iran so they had to like they had to get out of there now instead of Mirza trying to make his mark in Persia Mirza decided to try his luck at the court of the new Mughal Emperor Akbar now along the way to India the family was it was a fucking rough road trip for their family. They were attacked by robbers, so they lost a lot of their remaining valuables that they had tried to bring with them to India. The only thing they had left was one mule, which everyone in the family, like all, all the kids, Mirza's wife and himself, had to take turns like riding at once. Uh, but eventually they did make it to India, and not too long after this, Mirza's wife gave birth to Mumtaz's aunt, Nur, who would not only, um, uh, be like Mumtaz's like intro to the royal Mughal court but was also considered by her own family to be a good luck charm because she like kind of I don't know brought this like sense of like hope to the family because immediately after Noor was born the family was taken in by a rich merchant family who helped grandpa Mirza get a job serving emperor Akbar Mirza was eventually promoted to the treasurer giving his family enough income to set up his kids for success now, Mom tells his dad served as governor to several wealthy regions under Akbar's command, and then he served as Grand Vizier to Emperor Jahangir, and he received a banger education. Now, for context, Grand Vizier is kind of like a prime minister. I think we probably talked about this in uh, my Jodha episode, but that's basically what a Grand Vizier does. He's like a he's like a prime minister. Also, like if you've ever seen Aladdin, uh, Jafar is like the sultan's grand vizier like he makes himself the grand vizier it's a very powerful position anyway um (laughs) mumtaz's dad was also granted a very illustrious marriage to mumtaz's mother who we don't really know that much about uh we do know that she was the daughter of a wealthy persian noble so you know um mumtaz's parents had similar like ethnic backgrounds uh and mumtaz's parents marriage added to the family's already high status Now, as I mentioned before, many of the privileges Mumtaz enjoyed were thanks to her grandpa's very smart moves, but also because her aunt ended up being married to Emperor Jahangir. Now, being the niece of an emperor has its perks, and Mumtaz and her family took full advantage of, you know, that association. Now, because of Mumtaz's uh, status with both her parents and, you know, her aunt, giving her that little extra status, she grew up Very privileged. Even before her auntie Nur married the emperor, she was still doing very well for herself. During the Mughal period, girls received their education at home or in the house of some teacher living in close proximity to them. There were special arrangements for the education of the ladies of the royal household, and some of the princesses of the Mughal Empire were very distinguished scholars. Mumtaz was quite an impressive student in her time and could speak Arabic and Persian by the time she was seven and could read and write poems in both languages, not to mention typically feminine subjects like domestic arts, fine arts, music, dancing, painting, household decorations, stuff like that were all included in her very, very fancy education. Now, while we don't have like specifics on what Taz looked like, she is praised endlessly by writers of her time for her beauty and grace. And she was often described as having a good mix of modesty, candor, and straightforwardness, but with the calmest disposition in the world. So like, they're basically saying like, you know, she wasn't bitch, that's, that's good. Um, basically, Mumtaz was serving some realness and people were noticing her very early on in life, which ended up being an asset to her as she entered her teenage years, where, you know, husband hunting suddenly becomes a thing. So this was very good for her that she already had this reputation going into husband hunting season. Now, no one is exactly sure how Mumtaz and her husband Shah Jahan met. But one story goes that, you know, one day in the streets of Agra, he saw her in the Mina Bazaar selling beads while, you know, he was out on a stroll with his officials. Which, you know, I think it's like kind of like cute. It's like a really cute... um Oh, what's the, what's the term? A uh, meat cute It's a good meat cute story, but it's, like, probably not true. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm, like, misinterpreting this. Maybe I just don't know enough about, like, Mughal nobility or Persian nobility, really. But, like, sure, they could have met in a bazaar, but, like, why the fuck would Mumtaz be selling things on the side of the road? I, I don't get it. Like, do you get it? Because I, anyway, um... Like she wasn't a merchant's daughter, she was quite literally the daughter and granddaughter of two separate prime ministers in the Mughal Empire, like like why would she, why would she be selling stuff in a bazaar anyway. Now, it's actually more likely that they already knew each other after all Mumtaz's aunt was like literally his <laughs> was literally Shah Jahan's stepmom and two of her immediate family members had served in Shah Jahan's father's court. So there was no way they hadn't crossed paths up until the point where they, they were teenagers. But, and they were also like so close in age, they were like barely two years apart. Anyway, however they met, Shah Jahan was immediately smitten with Mumtaz and they were engaged very, very quickly. Uh, when Mumtaz was 14 and Shah Jahan was about 15. However, the young and very in love couple had to wait five years to get married because the uh, court astrologers believed that if the couple married on the 10th of May 1612, they would have a very happy and successful marriage. So soon after they were engaged, Mumtaz moved into the palace harem so that she could prepare to become an imperial princess and uh, hopefully a future empress in waiting. Now, at the time Mumtaz would have arrived in the imperial palace, Shah Jahan's grandmother, Jodha, our girl Jodha, would have been running the shit out of the harem like the boss bitch that she was. So, I'm sure Mumtaz would have been uh, heavily influenced by someone as uh, powerful and successful as Jodha had been as empress. Um, After uh, five years of waiting, Mumtaz and Shah Jahan were married on the 10th of May, 1612, as... uh, uh, asked for by the astrologers, and while we do not know what their wedding was like specifically, we do know about the traditions of pastoral weddings, so I suppose we can guess about what their wedding would have looked like. Now, Mumtaz would have likely worn a bright red lehenga, and Shah Jahan would have worn either gold or red as well to match his bride. The ceremony it would have been customary for shah jahan to provide gifts to mumtaz's family and then their marriage contract would be signed and the fathers of both uh spouses would agree upon a dowry after verses from the quran were read and marital responsibilities are agreed upon the bride and groom would officially be married and receive blessings while they pray together now during the wedding feast all attendees would be uh, segregated based on gender but in good news everyone gets to enjoy a fantastic mughali feast so woo you know, lots of Indian food is really good. I'm sure it was great at this wedding. Um, after the reception ends, Mumtaz would have said farewell to her family. And now at just 19 years old, she is an imperial princess and hopefully an empress in waiting for one of the most powerful empires in Southeast Asia. What could go wrong? I mean, nothing could possibly go wrong in her life that could make this, yeah. Um, it's It's buckle up, kids. Um, now, before we talk about Mumtaz and her new husband's relationship, let's get to know a bit about Shah Jahan first. Now, Shah Jahan was born as the ninth child and third son of Prince Salim, the future Emperor Jahangir, and his second wife, Jagich Gosan, who was the niece of our fave Mughal Empress, Jodha. Now, Shah Jahan's birth name was Karum, which is Persian, and means joyous, which is so cute. I love that his name means joy. It's like, um, if you guys ever, ever read the book, The Hate You Give, or even seen the movie, um, Star's little brother's is named Sakhani, which also means joy, which is so cute. I love, I love names that mean, like, joy in other languages. It's so cute. Anyway, <laughs> also, uh, fun fact, Shah Jahan's grandparents, Akbar and Joda, were responsible for choosing that name, so good for them. Um... Anyway Shah Jahan was educated in a manner befitting his station as a prince and his education was fairly similar to Mumtaz's. Shah Jahan was taught uh, many cultural arts like poetry and music and was well versed in the art of war. Um, He was not the biggest fan of languages as as a kid uh, uh, but he really enjoyed learning um, Hindi literature and would often read his lessons in Hindi. Uh, One thing about Shah Jahan's personality that sticks out to me from reading about him is that he was really big on family. I mean, we have a lot of descriptions of him showing a lot of emotion towards family members, which we just don't really generally see. Um, For example, when he was 13, his grandfather, Akbar, was dying. He stayed at Akbar's bedside the entire time he was sick. He refused to move even after he was asked to leave for his own safety after Akbar died because of the possible uncertainty in the succession. Uh, Because it's important to remember, the oldest son isn't always the heir in the Mughal Empire. Shah Jahan was only convinced to leave to protect himself by his grandmother, Jodha, who took him back to her quarters into the safety of the harem, where, you know, no men can enter, so no one's exactly going to kill Shah Jahan in Harem. harem. Um, not too long after he and Mumtaz got married, Shah Jahan's mom died, and he went into very, very deep mourning for his mother. He loved his mother. He ate simple meals for months, refused to go to any meetings or public outings, and even his father couldn't console the poor kid. I mean, he was he was fucking crushed when his mother died. Shah Jahan was a family man with a lot of big emotions, and I think you guys will see what I mean as we get deeper into Mumtaz's story and their relationship. Speaking of which, let's talk about it. Now, Shah Jahan was head over heels in love with Mumtaz from the fucking moment they met. He was obsessed with her, and he loved only her his entire life. Now, as I've mentioned in the Jonah episode, uh, Mughal emperors were permitted to have multiple wives, and Shah Jahan had already had uh, two wives by the time he and Mumtaz were married, and that, like, five years he that they had to wait to get married, he married two other women. Um, he married his... Uh, first two wives for political reasons, because that's what his advisors wanted him to do. But Mumtaz was him choi- his choice, and he made that very clear from the moment that they were married. He lost interest in his first two wives, and he only wanted to hang out with her, and he only took her everywhere he went. Well, Mumtaz was not as politically ambitious as, as her auntie, Empress Nur, Uh, She was still very politically savvy, and she was Shah Jahan's closest political advisor and confidant. I mean, they told each other everything, and Shah Jahan always wanted to hear Mumtaz's opinions on things. One thing that I think um, really shows uh, how much Shah Jahan trusted Mumtaz is that once Shah Jahan became emperor in 1628, She was made regent several times and was entrusted with the Great Imperial Seal, I almost said serial, (laughs) which is something that goes on to every official document and makes it law in the Mughal Empire. Now, because Mumtaz had access to the seal, she was allowed to review documents in their final draft and put them into law herself. And Shah Jahan trusted her judgment to do that, which I think is just like a huge thing. I mean, she literally had the power of emperor in her hand and she didn't abuse that power, which tells you so much about her personality. Also of all Shah Jahan's wives, she was given the biggest stipend of money for her living expenses and they lived in the most beautifully decorated home together, which had like gold and precious stones and it had a fucking rose quartz fountain. I want a rose quartz fountain. Why can't I have one? Anyway, Lumtaz living large. Now as empress, she was a big benefactor of the poor, often distributing large amounts of food in the poorest areas of Agra and leading Islamic prayers with the poor. In terms of hobbies, like most Mughal empresses, she was also into architecture and gardening. She spent a large amount of time working on beautiful riverside gardens in Agra, which may have ended up inspiring her final resting place. We'll talk about that. Uh, she <laughs> This is my favorite fact about her as empress. She also enjoyed watching basically the equivalent of, like, cage fights that were, like, <laughs> performed in the court, which she had to keep a secret because it was, like, considered unladylike of her to, like, watch... <laughs> Wrestling match, matches. I don't know. After all, the first rule of Fight Club is that we don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> Speaking of that, not only did Mumtaz like watching like people get into like cage fights, she also liked elephant fights, which were like actual matches where elephants would fight. And she attended to those too because she just thought they were like fucking fun. Like I, I can imagine her just up on like her little throne, just like fucking placing bets on the elephant. She is like, mine's gonna win. Her name is Petunia. It's my favorite unhinged fact. About Mumtaz that she genuinely genuinely enjoyed human and elephant cage fights. Fucking go Mumtaz that is like a that is a base hobby. I love her so much for that. She's way too real for that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com/slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSSE Okay, in terms of uh, not unhinged facts about Mom taz she was also the patron of many artists and poets. Like, you know, you you find a lot of um, you know, queens and empresses have been throughout the history of the entire world. It's what they do. Um, Mumtaz patroned her favorite Sanskrit poet to write poetry for her. And she was also convinced by one of her ladies-in-waiting to uh, provide pensions and donations to the daughters of poor scholars, theologians, and pious men so that they could have good educations and futures, which I think is really lovely that she did that. That's like, that's like, um, oh. Chadwick Boseman, you get you guys of course now. Chadwick Boseman probably. Um, actually, the anniversary of his death was was uh, very very recent. Um, one of the reasons he was able to go to theater school was because he was like uh he was patronized by uh like Denzel Washington. Like he he won that like scholarship that Denzel Washington had put up. It's like that, but like Mumtaz is paying for education. It's very nice. Anyway, uh, let's talk about uh Mumtaz and her children since we're you know talking about daughters and sons. Uh, Mumtaz and Shah Jahan had a fuckload of kids, and when I say a fuckload of kids, I mean they had 14 kids in their 19 years of marriage. So let's go through the kids they had. Uh, we'll talk about the more important ones in like more detail towards the end of the episode, but let's just give a quick rundown of the 14 kids they had in 19 years. Now, their first child was a girl born nearly a year after the wedding. They named her Herul Um, Fortunately, she died at the age of three from smallpox. Um, after that, they had another girl named Jahanara, who was a very important person in Mughal history. We'll get to her later, and she'll probably have a full episode on this show at some point. Um, after Jahanara, they had their first son, Dara, and then another boy, boy named Shah Shuja, uh, the next year, I also have to mention that uh, some of these kids I'm using like their their uh, more famous names and some of them I'm using their actual birth names. so like if if you know a little bit more about these kids than I do uh, and like you're you're confused about why I'm calling them a certain name, it's it's just what I've chosen. anyway. Uh, then, after Shah Shuja, they had another daughter named Roshanara, which is such a pretty name. And then uh, another son named Aru Zangzeb. I'm sorry about that. Um, after Aru Zangzeb, gosh, I can't pronounce that, uh, they unfortunately have a series of devastating uh, losses with their children. Uh, Mumtaz ended up having two sons and a daughter who all died before they were eight years old, uh, quite close together after uh, that other son. But after that streak of losses, um, they finally have a son named Murad who lives into adulthood. But unfortunately, after Murad, they suffer more devastating losses where they lose two more sons and a daughter. Uh, They all die young and very, very close together like six kids that they're losing, and then finally, in their 19th year of marriage, Mumtaz gives birth to her final child, a little girl named Gauhur. Now, even though Mumtaz was pregnant nearly every year for her 19-year marriage, that did not stop her from being active and, you know, out and about in the empire with Shah Jahan. It's actually probably the reason she had so many kids, because she was was Shah Jahan all the time. Um, when Shah Jahan initially succeeded to the throne uh, after a very intense succession crisis between uh, himself and his brother, uh, Mumtaz was pregnant twice during that succession crisis, by the way. Uh, she followed him around on campaign while heavily pregnant twice. But in the end, it was uh, unfortunately a pregnancy that ended up being the thing that killed her. Like of all the things, she was so active, so beloved, so fierce. Pregnancy was the thing that killed her. Um, in the year 1631, Mumtaz accompanied Shah Jahan on a military campaign into central India. Uh, she was about nine months pregnant at the time, uh, and she went into labor in the city of Bur- Burhanpur. Um, her labor was excruciatingly painful, uh, worse than probably she'd ever experienced. Like she, For the most part, she had, had like pretty, well, not, I wouldn't say easy births, nothing about childbirth is uh, easy, but... Uh, She hadn't been, like, fearful for her life in, like, the last 13 pregnancies. Uh, Unfortunately, her labor this time lasted for over 30 hours, a whole fucking day, and some. Uh, Finally, after 30 hours, her daughter was born, but things went wrong almost immediately after the birth. Uh, 14 pregnancies is just, like, a lot on one person's body. Like, I'm no fucking doctor, but being pregnant 14 times over 20 years, no matter how fucking healthy you are, it's going to take a big toll on your health. And it took a really big toll on Mumtaz. She suffered a postpartum hemorrhage, which means she lost too much blood during the birth, and it killed her. Now, as I mentioned before, we know that Shah Jahan was a very big emotional person. I mean, when he lost someone, it would hurt him straight into the core, and this was no different when Mumtaz died. Shah Jahan went into mourning for a full year. No one saw this man during that full year. Well, that's, Actually, that's a little dramatic. People saw him, but he didn't really want to be seen. Like when his mother died, he ate simple meals, attended very few official meetings, and was only brought out of his slump by his oldest daughter, Jahanara, who convinced him it was time to come out of mourning and be emperor again, because she was just that bitch. (laughs) But while in mourning, he had spent a lot of time planning a burial place for Mumtaz that would reflect the amount of love he had for her, and that became the Taj Mahal. Now, everyone... And I mean, at least I think everyone knows what the Taj Mahal is, even if you haven't heard of Mumtaz herself. It is literally one of the most famous and beautiful buildings on the planet Earth, and it was built all because Shah Jahan loved Mumtaz so fucking much. The entire building is constructed of marble and was made with a very clear Islamic aesthetic and even has the 99 names of God as inscriptions in the crypt. While the rest of the building is 10 levels of fancy, Mumtaz's actual crypt is actually quite simple because um, I'm not an expert on this because I don't know much about, um, you know, like rules in the Islamic faith, especially when it comes to burial. But I read there was a rule that, you know, when it comes to Islamic burials, the actual burial has to be simple or something. Um, I don't know much about it, but I read that that's like a rule. Now, the actual building took like 22 years to complete, and when it was done, Mumtaz was taken out of her temporary resting place where she died and placed in a golden casket and escorted back home by her second son to be buried in the Taj Mahal. Now, even though the construction of the Taj Mahal nearly bankrupted him, Shah Jahan was happy with the product, and his uh, son eventually had him buried there right next to Mumtaz for all of eternity. Now, before we get into Mumtaz's legacy, let's talk about the crazy succession crisis that broke out uh, between Mumtaz's sons after Shah Jahan died, which is really sad because I just know Mumtaz wouldn't have wanted her sons fighting. Honestly, I don't think any of these Mughal empresses would have wanted their sons fighting over anything. You don't want your kids to fight and murder each other after you die, right? Um, Now, after Mumtaz had initially died, her daughters Roshanara and Jahanara took over as kind of like the first ladies of the kingdom for their father, even though uh, the oldest of them was only 17 years old and the other one was 14 years old. That's a lot to put on two teenagers. Uh, Both girls ended up setting the tone for how the eventual succession crisis goes. Why did I stutter on that? I don't know. I know how to say succession, right? Anyway. Now, as I've mentioned, the Mughals did not always pass the throne from eldest son to eldest son. It was just not a thing that they did. In fact, it was much more common to have a bloody succession war, like when Shah Jahan took away the throne from his half-brother. And this was no different from Mumtaz's boys when their father died, which I don't think is like a... Like, why do they have to do this every generation? Like, if they just did primogeniture, surely they'd have less wars, right? I don't know. Anyway, Shah Jahana made it pretty clear that he wanted his oldest son, Dara, to succeed him, which wasn't a bad choice. Dara was a fantastic choice to succeed him. Dara was intellectual intellectual and pretty progressive, much in the mold of his great-grandfather, Akbar. However, his younger brothers all also thought that they could do better, uh, specifically uh, brother number three with the uh, name I can't pronounce, Aranzangzeb. Ara Aranzangzeb. <laughs> Ara yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Oh, that's so bad. I'm butchering that. My bad. Um, Now, two major factions crop up in this war, and that is Dara and Arang Zengzeb. You know what? I'm just going to call them Aura. I'm sorry. I really, really apologize for butchering that so bad. So Dara and Aura are two major factions, and both of the other two brothers in this succession crisis end up kind of like switching sides between the two of them, or, uh, you know, sometimes when they get bored putting forward their own cases, while well, their two sisters... um. Stay like pretty firm in their support of either brother. Now, Jahanara was Team Dara, and Roshanara was Team Aura. Now, I'm gonna not gonna go too deep into this time because I'm probably gonna end up covering this. Uh, again, when I do episodes on both Roshanara and Jahanara, because I, I think there's enough content on both of them to do, like, two separate episodes on them. But basically, Aura uh, comes out on top in the Succession War, and Dara is executed along with his other brother, Murad. And while a lot of relationships between siblings initially go down uh, the toilet... Um, in the succession wars. Ara eventually reconciles with the rest of his siblings, especially his sister Jahanara, who he consulted along with Roshanara on state matters, and both women were very politically influential in their brother's reign. Overall, from what I read on Aura, he seemed to have an okay reign with a large economy, although he was very committed to making Islam a dominant force in the world, and he had some pretty harsh taxes. But as I said, we'll cover him more extensively if I end up doing episodes on his sisters Roshanara and Jahanara. Anyway, the point is, Montaz's sons and daughters had very rough and interesting lives after her, and heavily contributed to her legacy, especially uh, the child that she gave birth to last, who lived to be 75 and was, along with her sisters, a staple in her brother's court. All right, getting into legacy, Mumtaz's beauty, grace, and her love for Shah Jahan inspired one of the most beautiful buildings on the planet that, despite being built centuries ago, still stands as a testament to that love. And I think that's just chef's kiss. Beautiful. Uh, not to mention, uh, many of the children Mumtaz had continued much of her work and became successful people and leaders like she probably would have wanted them to be, although I don't think she would have wanted any of her sons to execute the other ones. Which is unfortunate that that happened, but that is how the Mughal Empire crumbles. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining me in this episode. I will hopefully see you guys uh, well, probably about a week. I'll, I'll hopefully post the next episode on time. We'll see. I've got to go to school. Um, bye, guys. Love ya. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMationRain 2 The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience, so I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. Alright, uh, bye!